Amen. Thank you, worship team. I want to mention one thing. Uh, Scott McIntyre, who's up here playing keyboard for us, we prayed for him a couple of weeks ago as he had a kidney transplant. It went phenomenally well, and here he is this week back with us leading worship. Scott, we're grateful for you. <laughs> Praising God for that. It's a good reminder, God hears our prayers, uh, which is always true, even when we don't get answers that we want, but oftentimes we do. Oftentimes God says, I'm going to do that for you as an expression of my faithfulness. And uh, I want us to be aware of those moments in our lives. This morning, we're going to talk about laughter. We're going to talk about joy. We're going to even have some fun this morning. I've been looking forward to this service for quite a while. I even wore my brightest, more, most celebratory shirt. I asked Jody this morning. I picked it. I was like, can I really pull this off? And she encouraged me this morning to do that. If you're new, I want to welcome you. I know this is the time of year where a lot of you are maybe moving into town or maybe you've been in town for a while and you're just saying, hey, let's, let's check out that church that doesn't look like a church. Uh, we're glad that you're here. We want to welcome you. A couple things about this is this time of year, and obviously we still have some construction going on. Now, we hope uh, we plan on this being finished in about a month or so, which will give us additional classroom space for your kids. So I don't know what it's like out there this morning, but we've been in a situation all throughout this past school year where we've had to ask uh, families to come earlier if you want to get your kids in, in the uh, classroom. And I hope that didn't happen this morning, but I've got a hunch it probably did. Hang in there. About four or five, six weeks from now, uh, Lord willing, we're going to be in these classrooms, and that's going to really help us with this. Uh, for those of you that came in, and we asked you to scooch in toward the center, and you thought, I got here early specifically so I could have this seat, and now you're making me move. Would you give us grace in this, as we have new families that are coming literally every week, and we want to be able to make space for them. Speaking of our family, our family of faith here, and families that are coming in, a week from today, we're going to have what I would call an old-fashioned church uh, barbecue picnic. So we hope you can join us. It'll be right after the second service. You don't have to bring food. You're welcome to bring food if you'd prefer that over barbecue. We're going to have a catered barbecue meal, $5 per person, $15 max per family. We'd love to have you join us. Now here's the thing, and I'm going to ask a, a big request of you. I would love for those of you that are in this first service to still come to the first service if you're able to do that. Maybe take a break, go relax a little bit, run a couple errands, go shopping if you need to go shopping, and then come back for lunch here. After the second service, that would be a blessing for us to be here together as a community. And then last thing by way of announcements that I just want to mention, you have a, an insert in your bulletin uh, about the children's ministry, and I want to highlight two things on that. We've been talking a lot about this this summer, and you all have responded in a pretty wonderful way. And I want to thank you for those of you that have stepped up and volunteered. Every smiley face that's filling in the gaps there represents a classroom that is full. Like, we can't even take any more volunteers in that classroom. So I want to thank you for that. There are some classrooms where you see a red highlight. We still need a few volunteers, but if you look down the list, it's mostly onesies and twosies. I do want to highlight that one uh, second grade through fifth grade classroom. We could really use a few more volunteers, both in the first hour and the second hour to step in. My wife volunteers in that class. It is a fun class. You will enjoy it. You will love it. Curriculum is given to you. Uh, not, not a lot of prep and requirement you have to do. So if, uh, if you could help us there, it would be a tremendous blessing to the kids in that room. Well, open your Bibles, if you would, Genesis chapter 21. Uh, by now, those of you that have been here all throughout the summer, you know exactly what book of the Bible to go to. We've been in Genesis for several months, tracking on, uh, tracking in with the life of Abraham, who's, of course, one of the, one of the heroes of our faith. 
But as Eric reminded us last week, this hero was also very uh, flawed. And Abraham and his life, he keeps going through these amazing, crazy victories of faith. And then it's almost like the very next chapter, he falls on his faith, or falls on his faith, that's true too, falls on his face again. And this particular section of scripture, Genesis 21, 1 through 8, that, that was just read to you, is like one of the highlights of the whole story. I mean, it's like a breath of fresh air in the story. But to actually understand and appreciate this passage, these eight verses, we really have to retell the story. So let me just review. Let me summarize where we've been. Way back in Genesis chapter 12, God showed up in a man's life, just a regular guy named Abram, and God said, Abram, I'm going to call you away. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your homeland. I want you to go to a land that I will show you. What a step of faith. And Abraham, or Abram as he was called then, later changed his name to Abraham, he said yes to that step of faith. And then over the last two or three months, however long we've been in this, this series, what we've seen, honestly, is mostly one hard story after another hard story after another hard story. As Abraham has been wandering around from place to place, not really receiving any of the promises yet that God promised to him. And it's been over two decades since God first showed up to Abraham. And here he is still wandering. He does have one son by now, but it's not a son through the, his wife. God promised he'd have a son through his wife, Sarah. The son was through the maidservant, Hagar. You remember that story? And God said, that's not my plan. You need to keep waiting. I will intervene. I will show up. But now, about 25 years into his journey, Abraham is still waiting up till this point. He's faced a famine. He's faced a war. He's faced relational struggles with his wife. He's faced strife in his own family. He's seen his nephew Lot make disastrous decisions. He, Abraham himself, has made some terrible choices. And now, right as we've wrapped up chapter 20 going into 21, he's 100 years old, been waiting for 25 years for the promise to come. And this is a long, hard, dark journey. And this is what we've been sitting in as a congregation. I would say it this way. Uh, my summary of this series, personally for me, is it has been incredibly rich, but also challenging, also a little bit hard. Maybe you would say it's been a little heavy. There hasn't been a lot of levity. There hasn't been a lot of joy and laughter in this story. Let me kind of remind you some of the themes we've talked about. Our core theme, you know, the subtitle of, of the series on Abraham is trusting God even when it doesn't make sense to trust God. I would say maybe especially when it doesn't make sense to trust God. We've talked about holding the tension between God's promise to you and what you're longing for, what your hopes are for life and your future, and, and, and knowing that your reality doesn't exactly look like that. Holding that tension, that's what we're called to do in the Christian faith, is there's a tension that we hold between the promise and the reality. That is hard to do. We have found ourselves in this Abraham narrative in ways that may have surprised you. I know I found myself in here ways that surprised me. So let me just give you some examples of what we have in common with this man, Abraham. We wander around in a land that never fully feels like home. We have unmet desires and hopes. We vacillate back and forth between faith and doubt. We fear for our lives and for our livelihood. We go outside of God's design 
in hopes of gaining what we feel we need. We have marital struggles. We blame one another. We have relational conflict in our families. We try to save people who don't always want to be saved. We take matters into our own hands in foolish acts of self-protection like we saw just last week in the life of Abraham. You see, Abraham's faith should feel a little familiar to you. His life journey, his story should sound almost comfortable to you in the sense that you know it. Now, it's anything but comfortable. But we identify with, we relate. Now, that's where we've been. And this morning, we get to Genesis chapter 21. These eight verses, I would say, represent a single beautiful moment in the life of Abraham and Sarah. Now, the interesting thing is in verse 9, which we're going to look at next week, the story gets hard again. But for this one moment, there's no clouds of tension. There's no struggle to be content. God shows up, literally. We'll talk about that in a minute. God intervenes. And for this brief moment, it's like he's saying, Abraham and Sarah, I want to preview for you for just a glimpse, just for a moment, that the promise is true, that the promise is on the way. And just taste this and remember that I am good and I am faithful. And that's what these eight verses are all about. And that's why I want us to celebrate in praise this morning. I want you just to sort of take a deep breath in this scripture this morning. And I want us as a body to remember that God is good despite circumstances. Not coincidentally, I believe, with this theme, the passage, more than anything in my mind, points me upwards, and I pray it will point you upwards as well. And that's where I want to start in our exposition this morning. So let's look at the text together. Uh, 21, we'll just start with the first verse, verse 1. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah, as he had promised. Breathe that verse in for just a minute. Do you hear the tenderness in it? The Lord took note of Sarah. Right, do you hear the faithfulness of God in these words? The phrase, as he said. See, he promised he would do this. And now he's coming to fulfill that promise. And look at the, the phrase at the end of that verse. As he had promised. This is the covenant-keeping God. We always knew he was full of love for Abraham and Sarah. We, we've maybe seen that in part, but now we're sort of seeing it in, in a more full way as he shows up and does a miracle in their lives. And there's kind of part of our soul that's just like, yes, that's the God that I know has been fully, faithfully loving them all along. And we sort of see that viscerally now. We see it lived out in the life of Sarah and Abraham in a literal way. That verb took note of in Hebrew is a very important one. It's a very interesting one. It means that God personally intervened. So it's often translated throughout the Old Testament that God visited. Same idea. God took note of. God showed up. God visited. And throughout the Old Testament, it designates a special intervention in some circumstance or in someone's life. 
So I want you to think about it this way. Think about life in general as this horizontal line that God is always present in, right? He's, he's omnipresent. He's always present in the horizontal line of our lives. But at times, there are just these vertical moments when God just does something miraculous, does something remarkable. Most of the time, we may not be aware of it, but it is God taking note of or God intervening or God showing up. That's what this verb carries in meaning in Hebrew. Note the emphasis in the passage on God's activity, like who it is that's doing this. In verse 1, we already read this. The Lord took note of Sarah. I want to skip down to verse 6. We won't put it on the screen, but just take a note. Sarah says, God has made laughter for me. The narrator doesn't want us to miss who deserves the credit for this. And one of the ways he pulls out that idea of who deserves the credit is he emphasizes the age of Abraham. Did you catch that? As it was read earlier, verse 2, So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. Verse 5, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And then look at the end of verse 7. Sarah says, I have borne him, Abraham, a son in his old age. Three different times. You think Abraham was old? (laughs) You get that idea? Like the narrator, you know, who's Moses writing this later on, he's like, you don't forget, the man is 100 years old. This is God doing something special. God is intervening. God is taking note of. He's showing up in a miraculous way. And Abraham understands this. How do we know? Well, we know because of his response. Let's look at Abraham's response in verses 3 and 4. And you can put this on the screen. We'll read it. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him. Notice that contrast with the earlier son Hagar bore. This is Sarah born to him. He called his name Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now here's what's going on with both the naming and the circumcision. Abraham is publicly acknowledging that God is the source of, of this good gift. So he gives him the name that God commanded him, and we'll talk about that earlier, and then he circumcises him. And and as we know, because we've covered this, circumcision is a sign of the covenant with God. So Abraham was a marked man, and God commanded him, circumcise all the males in your household because I'm setting them apart. I'm setting them in a new, fresh way for everyone to know that this is a special people, and that's what's happening here with circumcision. I want to talk about the name as well. Isaac. Isaac means he laughs. God commanded Abraham and Sarah to name this child after laughter. One of the most beautiful gifts, I believe, that God has given to us, laughter. And this child has that name. In Hebrew, it means he laughs. The name was established by God back in Genesis chapter 17. You may remember this part of the story. God tells Abraham, and this was about a year before the birth, okay? God tells Abraham that your wife Sarah, right, who would have been about 89 years old a year before the birth, she was 90 when Isaac was born, God says, your wife Sarah will bear you a son. And Abraham falls on his face laughing to himself. And then the very next chapter, the, the same you know, conversation, essentially, Sarah is listening in as Abraham is eating with the Lord and the two angels. 
right? And she overhears this idea that Sarah is gonna have a son and she laughs just privately, right? To herself, no one can hear her except God. And remember they have that exchange. God said, Sarah, you laughed. And Sarah lied. You know, I didn't laugh. And God says, you did laugh. And so this laughter originally in 17 and 18, what was, was sort of a bad thing. It was a sign of distrusting God. It was a lack of faith. It was like, yeah, right. That can't happen. And what's God's response? Is anything too difficult for God? Now, one of the most beautiful things uh, about this story in, in chapter 21 is the way that God redeems the laughter of Abraham and Sarah. You see, a year earlier, they laughed in unbelief. And now the baby's been born and they're laughing again. But it's a different kind of laughter, isn't it? Right? It's the laughter of the promise fulfilled. It's this bubbling over of joy. It's just like, are you kidding me? This is too good to be true. But it is true. And they're laughing and they name the son laughter. You see the beautiful irony in that. Now this redemption of laughter, I think is especially true for Sarah. Because I think you could make the case that the lowest point in Sarah's relationship with God was when she lied to his face. I didn't laugh. And God just matter-of-factly, I think very tenderly says, oh, but you did laugh. And I want you to read the words of Sarah now in chapter 21, verses six through seven. Let's put this one on the screen as well. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Well, who did say to Abraham that? It was God, right? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. There is a wonderful wordplay here. And I don't want you to miss it. God has made laughter for me. She's, she's, a, she's talking about Isaac. God has made Isaac. Remember his, his name? You know, he laughs. God has made, like he's knit this baby together in my womb for me. So God has made the person of laughter, Isaac, for me. And yet at the same time, you can read it another way too. In fact, some translations, the Net Bible, the Holman Christian Standard, and the New King James, they translate in, in a way that I love. Here's the phrase, God has made me laugh. It's like, he, he, he told a joke. <laughs> he, he, he did this. So there's this incredible wordplay. He, he both made laughter, the person of Isaac, which means laughter, and he made me laugh. And God is just wonderfully brilliant in that way, isn't he? I, I picture God essentially saying through this, what he's communicating to Sarah is the, the last time you told me that you didn't laugh when you actually did, but now I'm going to make you laugh and you'll laugh so hard that there will be no hiding it. In fact, everyone will laugh with you in joy for what I have done. God redeems Sarah's laughter, her low point. He lifts it up and makes it her highest point. Laughter, in fact, is the key theme of the first eight verses of chapter 21. That's one of the things I love about this passage. The whole passage sort of reverberates with joyful laughter, maybe like no other passage of the entire Bible, perhaps. 
James Boyce is a, a Bible scholar and was a pastor for many, many, many years. And this is what he wrote about this particular passage. He says, I hear the laughter as I read the passage. And, then, and listen, he's going to reread it, but he's going to insert some, some things in here. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. Here she laughs. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. More laughter. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Here she squeezes Isaac so hard that he cries and she covers him with kisses. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. She laughs again. Now, when you begin to hear the passage that way, it takes on a little bit of a different meaning of this 90-year-old woman that has been following her husband who's following God around the wilderness for 25 years living in a tent, right? This is like a miracle done in her life. I want us to think a little bit differently about laughter for a minute because as I've thought about laughter, it's like, you know, if you ever come across a word in the English language that seems normal until you start saying it a lot, like toy, you know? You say toy, toy, toy. It's like, that's a weird word, you know, toy. So sometimes when you say something enough times, am I alone in this? Come on, I think I'm, I'm feeling, okay, thank you. I got one, like, one head nod over there. So I was thinking about laughter, and I started thinking laughter is kind of a weird, strange phenomenon. I did a little research on laughter. Uh, this is interesting. I came a, a, across a quote by Tyler Stillman. He has a PhD in social psychology, and, and he's a professor at a university. Here's what he says about laughter. When I read this, I was like, yes, that's, that's what I was feeling. Here we are, Professor Stillman says, here we are, this species with capacity for language, which allows us exquisitely nuanced expressions. And yet we produce these kinds of bizarre sounds. Laughter is this kind of clumsy, inarticulate way of expressing ourselves. And yet, it's also kind of awesome. A PhD said that, right? I love it. And, and you know, Michael always talks about how we need to reserve that word awesome, right? And use it for things that really are applying to God. I will use it in this context. Here's why. I think laughter actually points to something beyond ourselves. And I think that's what Dr. Stillman was getting at, although I don't believe he is a believer. I think he's sort of acknowledging there's something mysterious, maybe even supernatural, a little bit unexplainable about this phenomenon called laughter. And this is why I would classify real laughter. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, like, like chuckling over the latest Jimmy Fallon skit or, you know, some commercial you saw that's funny. I'm talking about real, like, laughter that bubbles up when God intervenes in your life and does something that you can't believe and can't imagine and it's just so good you have to pinch yourself. I think that kind of laughter is an expression of worship. I think that's what's happening here in Sarah's life. You might think of it this way. Sometimes you experience an unexpected taste of the beauty and the goodness of God. And in those moments, words fail you. And, and sometimes maybe you cry, but sometimes you laugh. And what comes out of your mouth, whether it's tears or whether it's laughter, it's a joyful noise. That's kind of what laughter is. Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite writers, Christian writer, 
somewhat of a theologian. He just has this unique, remarkable style about his writing. And, you know, he loves to write about laughter. It shows up in a lot of his different writings. I want to read you a little bit of an extended section because as I was reading what Beekner had to say about laughter, I thought, I can't say it nearly as well as he does. So I just want to read this to you. Laughter gets mixed up with all sort of things in the Bible and in the world too. Things like sneering, irony, making fun of, and beating the competition hollow. It also gets mixed up with things like comedians and slipping on banana peels and having the soles of your feet tickled. There are times when you laugh to keep from crying, like when the old wino staggers home in a party hat. Or even in the midst of crying, like when Charlie Chaplin boils his shoe for supper because he's starving to death. But 100% bonded, aged in the wood, laughter is something else again. It's the crazy parrot squawks that issue out of David as he spins like a top in front of the ark in 2 Samuel 6. It's what the writer of Psalm 98 was talking about when he got so excited he yelled out, Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy because the Lord has come through at last. It's what the Lord himself is talking about in Job 38 when he says, that on the day he laid the cornerstone of the earth, quote, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And it's what the rafters ring with in Luke 15 when the prodigal comes home and his old crock of a father is so glad to see him he almost has a stroke and, quote, they began to make merry. And they kept on making merry till the cows came home. Nobody claims there's a chuckle on every page, but laughter is what the whole Bible is really about. I want to invite you this morning to think of it this way. What if laughter, real, joyful, unexpected, surprising, soul-ish laughter is a taste of what we were made for? What if it's a taste of a distant land, this land of joy that our souls just long for? They know it's got to be real. It's got to be out there. We're pilgrims wandering, waiting for it. Our true home, the place where the promise and the reality are one and the same. I thought about Jesus' promise he made in his sermon on the mount, he made a promise to men and women just like you and me. People who were living day-to-day, -day, difficult life circumstances. People who didn't have it all together just like you and me. People who were just trying to hold on and make it. This is what Jesus said to them. Blessed are you who weep now. For you will laugh. You will laugh. There will come a day... When just like Sarah, you won't be able to help but laugh out of joy. Laugh because of the fulfilled, complete promise. You'll say, look what God has done. Who would have believed this? Pinch me to make sure I'm not dreaming. Who would have thought this circumstances could, could have been redeemed? Who would have thought this relationship 
could have been stitched back together and made whole. Who would have thought this could happen? That day will come. Followers of Jesus Christ, that day is one day closer today than it was yesterday. Right? How's your faith doing? Are you certain of that? You know, you think Abraham and Sarah were certain of it? They were at this moment, right? Were they certain of it a year before? No way, Jose. They laughed at the thought. But now God's given them a glimpse, you see? And and I want to remind you, this is a temporary glimpse. It's going to go back to heart. It's not like, man, all the problems were solved. Heaven has come to earth at this point in time. That's not how it works on this fallen earth as long as you and I are alive on this earth. But we do get glimpses, all of us. We get these glimpses, and the glimpses reinforce our faith. You see, I think that's how I've been thinking about laughter recently. For Abraham and Sarah, the birth of Isaac was a glimpse of the promise. Abraham never got to fully receive it this side of eternity. He never got to know it. He went to his grave not owning any land except the land that he was buried in. But don't underestimate the importance and the power of these little glimpses. Moments in time, like these eight verses where God intervened, where he showed up in Sarah and Abraham's life in a remarkable, tender, compassionate way. Now, I want to apply this. For me, you know what my application is? I don't celebrate right. Like, I don't celebrate enough, and I don't celebrate correctly. I don't celebrate well. And I think this may be true for you. I think this may be true for us as a body. Let me explain what I mean. What we see in this passage is an example of what I would call holy celebration. Holy celebration. Let me explain what I I think I've found in this passage that I've come to describe as holy celebration. I think there's sort of three aspects of of this kind of celebration. There's three steps if you want to think about it that way, although I hate using that word. Three steps to celebrating well. You want to know what they are? They're really simple. Really simple. Number one, name the good thing. Like you literally say, this is what has shown up in my life. Okay, I I got a text recently uh, from a man in our body. Actually, it was an email, and I was walking through an airport. I was checking my email while I was walking. You know, I'm not supposed to do that, but I did. And and this was a man who's been struggling with, with underemployment for a long time, and he got a job offer. And like, I had to stop in my tracks because I was so filled with joy for this man and his family and the journey that he's been on. You see? you got to name. That's the first step. Name what God has done. Number two, acknowledge the source of the good thing. So as soon as you name it, hey, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Then you say, who does it come from? I want to remind you the words of James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from where? Above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Number one, name the good thing. Number two, acknowledge the source. Number three, and this is the one I think we don't do enough. Engage in some tangible expression of enjoyment. Engage in some tangible expression of enjoyment to make it visceral to you so that you can like taste it, maybe literally, or see it or feel it, right? Some marker in your life, some enjoyment that you do. Now, what, that might, what, what might this look like? Let me give you the example just from the passage because this is where I got this from. Number one, name the good thing. They literally named the good thing, right? Laughter. So every time they said that word laughter, it was a reminder of this blessing, right? Number one, name the good thing. Number two, acknowledge the source. 
all throughout, all throughout the passage. Listen again to Sarah's words. God has brought me laughter. God did this. And number three, engage in some tangible expression. There's two ones in the passage. One is the laughter. Right? That just spilled out. That's a tangible expression. Right? But there's another one too. And this is the last verse of the passage. Let's put it on the screen. Verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Abraham threw a huge party. Why a party? You ever thought about why we celebrate the way we celebrate? You know, what, here's what we do. We, we gather around with people that we like, you know, most times, you know, people that are close to us, right? We gather around with friends and family. We eat food. You ever been to a party without food? It's not the kind of party I want to go to, right? We eat food, right? What else do we do? We laugh, right? Maybe we dance. I don't know what else you do at parties. But, but those things are tangible reminders of the goodness of God. Friends, family, food, laughter, Joy, right? This is how we party. Now, if we don't intentionally and tangibly remember that God is good, we tend to forget. So what we're doing when we celebrate, and by the way, this is why God commands all these festivals throughout Israel's history, right? I mean, it's, you know, you read the Old Testament, you're like, these people were partying all the time because their parties lasted for like a week at a time. They were just like feasting for a week. Here's why. Life is hard. The journey is long. It takes endurance. Circumstances would try to tell you that God is not good. So you celebrate. You engage in tangible reminders. No, God is good. Are you kidding? He gave us chocolate. Right? God is good. So this morning we need to celebrate. We're literally going to celebrate. Now you might say, we've already been celebrating. We've been singing these songs. Good. Like you're starting to get it. That's what we do every Sunday. It's one of the reasons why we sing. Tangible expression, right? We, we remind ourselves. But I want us to celebrate in a little bit of a different way. We're going to have a little bit of a party. Okay, so we had a little bit of time left. You know, we got about 10 minutes left of the service. We're going to have a party. Some of you are going to be all over this. You're going to love it. Some of you are going to be like, ah. I don't know where you're going with this, Pastor. I, I didn't think this was one of those charismatic churches. And no, we're not a charismatic church, okay? Just hang with us. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to follow these three processes. We're going to name the good thing. We're going to acknowledge the source. We're going to engage in a tangible expression of enjoyment. What's the good thing that we're naming this morning? It's not our circumstances, right? Because we're all over the board. Some of you just got jobs. Some of you just got raises. Some of you just got unemployed. Some of you are struggling with infertility. Some of you just had babies. Some of you, your marriage is rocking along awesome. Some of you is really, really hard. We're not celebrating circumstance. We're celebrating something higher than that. And I want to name the good thing we're celebrating is the good news that God took note of us. That another baby was born, another son who was promised that was born according to the fulfillment of God's word. This time, the son was not named laughter. The son was named salvation, right? Joshua, salvation, save, Jesus. That's what this means. Now, we're celebrating the birth of another son, but we're not just celebrating his birth. We're celebrating his life, his death for us, his resurrection, so that all of us who put our trust in Jesus Christ have that promise locked in as good as gold. It is coming. The day is 
coming. And so every other little bit of celebration in your life, whatever it's good, we just acknowledge it. It's just pointing to the real celebration. It's pointing to what has come, right? You never get fully on this earth the fulfillment of the promises. You just get glimpses. You just get tastes of it, and that's okay. That's the good thing we're naming this morning, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Regardless of your circumstances, that is true. That is true. Acknowledge the source. God did this. We were dead in our sins. We could no more save ourselves than Sarah could sort of just will herself at 90 years old to conceive. Wasn't going to happen, right? Wasn't going to happen. We were dead in our sins. God intervened. God did this. Number three, engage in a tangible expression of enjoyment. This is where the party comes in, right? Now, I can't completely vouch for everything that's going to happen up here on this stage. But let me just ask you, when was the last time you really laughed? When was the last time you just sort of shouted for joy? And, and if, you, if God just burst that in you this morning, let it go. <laughs> let it loose. If we're ever going to celebrate in a, in a way that's unique and, and memorable, this passage would lead us to that. So I'm going to pray for us, all right? Bow your heads, we'll pray. Father, as we sing, as we celebrate, as we have some fun, as we acknowledge you to be the source, my prayer is that you would remind us of the good thing that we're celebrating. We're celebrating the grace that we have access to through the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. The, the son that was promised for so long, the promise fulfilled in his birth. And, and even though it's not Christmas time, we can celebrate that with every bit as much of energy around the birth that happened in that stable because it was a promise fulfilled. And God, the other thing we celebrate is the life and the death and the resurrection. And Father, even though it's not Easter time right now, we can celebrate that too with every bit as much of energy and passion and thanksgiving as we do around that Easter season because it's true every day. And so this morning is another day to remember the gospel. It's another day to tangibly be reminded that God is good. It's another day to taste and see that the Lord is good. And Father, I pray that the celebration that we're about to experience, that we're about to engage in, that that would continue on. I pray that as we leave these rooms, we're going to go back into circumstances that are really hard. And, and just like Abraham and Sarah are going to have one of the lowest points of their life in the text next week, we're going to be talking about that. That's going to happen to some of us in the room. That's what is ahead of us. But you know what is going to fuel us through that time, Father? It's this glimpse. This, this moment in time where we remember, where we taste and see that God is good. And I pray that we would be able to do that well. In the great name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.